It is uh, great to have you all uh, here. And uh, as Seth was uh, saying earlier, uh, we're starting this new series uh, about the kingdom. And you may be thinking, like, what is that? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, Jesus used uh, this phrase oftentimes, uh, it, it, one of two ways, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he would teach about uh, this and he'd say, and the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. And th there was something about this idea that was really important to him. And so what we want to do is take like the next three weeks and just unpack this a little bit so we have a better understanding of like what Jesus was getting at because there was this important thing. So when we think about what uh, this idea, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, it may be a little weird in our day to think of that because like we think of kingdom, we think of like uh, castles or knights on horses or something. And we're like, when, you know, when did Jesus get a castle and knights or something like that? But here's the idea. When you think about the kingdom of heaven, it, it starts kind of with this idea of influence or environment, like the, the, the feel or the dynamic of something. So when you think about a kingdom, think about a, think about a, a king, right? And, and so in Jesus's day, people would have been real familiar with, with this idea, but there'd be a king and that king would set a tone for all those people that might live under his rule, right? So you can imagine a kingdom that would have a real harsh tone to it or a very kind uh, kind of uh, tone to it. And it kind of would start with that king and, and it would be the environment or the thing that would influence uh, all of those relationships and the way of life within that kingdom. And so he's kind of talking about the dynamics of, of a way of life under uh, uh, like a king or like in this case under God or like within a group. And, and it's also important when you think about this to understand that we all have our own kingdom, right? Because we have influence, uh, we have environment. We, we can help set a dynamic or an environment or a vibe to whatever group of people that we belong to because we all have our own little kingdom where, we, where our sway, where our desires get to play out in some way. You see this in families. Families have their own kind of little kingdom or, or friend groups or whatever. Uh, a way to illustrate this is like I remember when my kids were young and we'd go like on a family vacation and we would drive over to California, go to the beach and Disneyland. And then there was the drive, right? With little kids from here all the way over to California and driving over there, like in the vehicle, like that was my little kingdom, right? I had sway over, you know, everyone in the car. Of course they had their little kingdoms, right? And I wanted it to be peaceful and calm, right? But I've got two little kids in the back and, and you know, before you even get, I was going to say Yuma, my gosh, before you even get out past Marana, right? It's like, she touched me. And I was like, okay, just, just don't worry about it. Because in our kingdom, we're not going to worry about that. He looked at me funny. Okay, but just like, there's no arguing in our kingdom, okay? Unless it's me and mom. I know kids are just, just like, you know. And then pretty soon it's like, you know, they're poking each other and hitting. I'm just like, and I'm reaching back there. Because I'm wanting to get control of my kingdom, right? I'm wanting to get things squared away the way I want. But, right, in, they get to react to it just like we get to react to it. And they can, they can be aggressive with it. They can fight back on it or they can withdraw, you know, or they can try and become aligned because, you know, they'd often go, oh, dad, I understand what you're after. I, I'll, I'll, I'll comply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, right? It, 
you know, I'm reaching back there like an octopus with a crazy, you know, tentacle coming back there. And they would always recoil back in their car seats as fast as they could. And I'd be going like this and they're like, mm, mm, and I'm just like, mm, just, you know, crazy, right? And you think like, those are the dynamics of a kingdom, right? Now, if you're a young parent, I do have a bit of great advice for you that I learned in my years of raising kids in this situation. <clears throat> if your kingdom's getting a little out of control like that, just a slight tap on the brakes brings them right back to you. And you just get your kingdom back, see? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not joking. It works, okay? Um, <clears throat> so w- when, you, when you think about this, right, every family, every friend group, right, it has this kind of tone or dynamic to it that, that you can kind of read or, sh- you know, the, the shape of it, how it works. Um, when you think about God's kingdom, you think about life and relationship with God. Um, like, so what is it that matters most to him? What does he desire? What, what does he want from us or for us, right? Think about your own family for a second. Think about your own family for a second. What is, what is the, the dynamic of your family? Is it like, is your, because every family is a little bit different. Is your family like, um, like, like humor is really important and you're always laughing or, you know, maybe you're the family, like you're into movies or something or your family's into board games or like you're a more serious family, right? Just, like what's the dynamic of your family? Think about that for a second. So when Jesus talks about, the kingdom of God is like. What he's wanting us to understand is what, how, how God is seeking to shape the tone and dynamic of life and relationship with him. Just like there's life and relationship in your own uh, family in this. So let me, uh, let me give you a very um, austere and theologically precise definition of kingdom of God here. Okay, not really. This is just kind of a working definition. It'd be, it'd be this, uh, the vibe of life and relationship with God, right? There's a certain vibe, right? A tone to it. So when you're reading scripture and you come across this, ask yourself, okay, what is Jesus teaching us about the tone of what life and relationship is like with him? And the reason this is so important is because we get drawn into thinking of, believing, or living either in alignment with what God is doing, like, or we end up recoiling from it, or we resist it in some way. And in the first century, uh, there were a lot of people that the way they thought of kind of the tone of life and relationship with God uh, was a very religious kind of vibe. That's how they saw it, right? A, a very religious kind of, of kingdom. And you know, the truth is, while we might think of religion a little bit differently today, there were a lot of Christ followers who still think of life and relationship with God in a very religious kind of way or dynamic. And, and That's what I want to get at this morning because there's some stuff that Jesus teaches about this that becomes important. And the truth is we kind of have this love-hate relationship uh, with religion uh, or or a religious way 
to our faith. On the one hand, uh, religion offers this kind of control and security. It tells me everything that's right and wrong, right? It comes with its, its lists and its precision to those uh, lists. It's how to get on God's good side, right? And who wouldn't want to be on God's good side? Uh, there's something comforting about the exactness and the predictability of what religion kind of pulls us into. But on the other hand, right, there's this other part about a kind of a religious uh, kind of kingdom um, that's different, right? The very nature of religion is kind of anti-relational in nature. It's static. It's more about method and behavior. Uh, Not so much about the ebb and flow or the dynamics of relationship. And religion has a way of squeezing people, crushing them under the weight of trying to be enough. Because there's all of those things that keep pulling us into this field, this need to be enough. And and there's something that squeezes us in this. Um, It's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, I got to volunteer in our children's ministry. So I didn't have any duties up here on platform. And so I got to spend Sunday morning volunteering in our kids' ministry. And it was an absolute delight. Um, the first hour, I worked with our kindergartners. The second hour, I worked with our fifth graders. It was whiplash going from the dynamic of kindergartners to fifth graders. I got to the fifth graders, and just about that time, I thought I had this kid ministry thing figured out. And then it was like, totally different. It felt more like I was uh, um, like, uh, like herding cats in a house on fire or something with the fifth graders. <clears throat> and, you're, and if you have a fifth grader, you're probably a little worried right now. Don't worry. They had oversight over me the whole time, okay? I just, uh, um, but with the, with the kindergartners, uh, had this delightful time. And by the way, you all have fantastic kids. It, it really was. It was a delight to just get to see the kids, be with them. And with the kindergartners, we got uh, near the end, uh, almost to the time where like parents and grandparents had come and start picking up their kids. And we had made it through all of the lessons and the activities and stuff. And so I was hanging out with uh, several of the kids at this table. It was like about this tall. You know, I'm sitting in a chair with my knees up like this high, uh, playing Legos with them. And we were just going to play Legos until parents showed up. And as we're playing Legos, the most interesting dynamic happened. Playing Legos, um, there was something about uh, these little souls and their, their aspirations and their desires and their vision for the future just like started coming out. There's one little girl and she started, she was building something here and I was like helping her out. I'm like, okay, what do we need? She goes, okay, we're going to put the counter right here in the refrigerator. I'm like, oh, okay, what are we building? She goes, a cafe. I'm like, oh, a cafe. She goes, yes, when I grow up, I'm going to make restaurants and I'm going to make really good food that people are going to love to eat. And then I'm going to make, and she's like, I'm like, wow, you are, you are like mapping out all of these different kinds of restaurants and cafes she was going to do. And another kid was like, you know, um, I'm going to fly spaceships. And he's like building something over here. And the dynamic between the kids as they were talking about, and you could just see like they, and to th- they had visions of adulthood. Like adulthood was going to bring on this sense of happiness and joy and freedom that they had never experienced. Like when they became adults, like this is when life was going to blossom and good things were just going to flow freely. And it was just like, wow, right? And about that time, I'm just like, oh, like, 
no, you don't understand what's going to happen, right? You know, you're going to have customers in those restaurants and they're going to be mean. You know, there's going to be people in flight school that are going to try and kick you out and just, you know, you're going to have mean bosses and employees. And just, it's going to be crazy. You know, just like I'm going through, just like, you know, you don't understand. Like, can we all say mortgage together, right? So, yeah, yeah, right? Now, I didn't really say all that stuff, right? But on the inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, no, you understand, you're peaking right now. You're at the top of life. You know, it's just downhill from here, right? Just like, this is like, you're in the good spot now, right? Yeah, it's just, you know, parents are showing up. No, not yet, not yet. You know, let them dream just a little longer, right? Um, and it's like, what happens when we become adults, right? It's, and just hearing those kids talk about how they saw adulthood is like, just freedom and ease. And like adults are like, no, it's pressure, right? It's like all the obligations. It's like, and, and my thought is, what, what's happening? Like there's so many of these things that it's like, even as Christ followers, something starts to get crushed or squeezed out until like, like life isn't feeling like the freedom to be all that God created you to be. It's like just trying to get through this month or maybe just this week, or just this day. It's like there's this curse to adulthood that all the dreams and aspirations, like, just like, like what happens? As I thought about this, you know, um, the curse isn't adulthood. That's not the curse. And curse isn't life itself. The curse that we sometimes experience as we grow into adulthood and, and, and can feel kind of that crushing power is a lie. There's a lie that we believe that gets perpetuated on and on in, in our lives as we live it out through this kind of dynamic or tone. And here's the lie. Here's the lie. If I strive hard enough, I can be all that God wants me to be. If I just strive hard enough, then I can be all that God wants me to be. Then I'll experience, right, all of those hopes and aspirations, all those beautiful things that I wanted to experience growing up. That's if I just strive hard enough. And there's a part of that, right? It just seems like, it, isn't it that way? Like if I, if I just strive hard enough. Friends, that's the dynamic of a religious kingdom. That, that's the tone, that's the vibe of religion. If I just strive hard enough, I can be all that God wants me to be. But the struggle with that is, it keeps bringing you around to this place where acceptance is always up for grabs. That's the problem. That, that we end up living in a constant state where acceptance is always up for grabs. And so no matter what you accomplish in any moment, it's tenuous. Because your sense of well-being deep in your soul, it could be lost. Because religion is built around this idea of an external code or law or set of obligations that always holds the determination of whether you're righteous or not. That's what religion does. There is a code, there's a law, there's obligations. And that decides whether you're righteous or not. And when you think of righteousness, let me give you a definition for righteousness here this morning. Think of righteousness as being right 
relationally with God. So how do I know I'm right relationally with God? Well, there's a code. There's a law. And, and it's clear. It's simple. But it always hangs. Acceptance is being tenuous over my head. And there's something that just crushes the life out of a human being of living under that year after year after year after year. I want to give you an example of this. So in the first century, when Jesus is teaching this stuff, all right, they, they would have lived under what was called the Mosaic, co- uh, the Mosaic Law. Um, and, it was, and there were specific parts out of the Old Testament that they took. In fact, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Um, so, if, uh, so start at the very beginning. You'll find Genesis, then Exodus. Third book is Leviticus, Leviticus 19. There's a section in Leviticus that's known as the purity code, which was this express code that, that walked out what it was to be pure so that you'd need to, so you'd know how to be righteous, right relationally with God. And it covered everything from um, uh, relationships that you had to how you would farm to how you did offerings. It covered all of this stuff. And I want to give you an example uh, of this and just how precise it could be. And one of the examples in here is actually pertains to something that Jesus teaches that we're going to look at here in a moment. Look at verse 19, chapter 19, verse 19 of Leviticus. It says this, keep my decrees, do not mate different kinds of animals, right? So everything is about purity, keeping everything pure, everything the same. You don't mix things. So if you want a pet dog, no mutts, right? Because God doesn't want mutts, right? It's just because it just mixes everything up on there. Okay, so moving on, the next one. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seeds, right? Because it's all about purity. This is the one that actually pertains to a passage that Jesus would teach centuries later that we're going to look at. Uh, and then the last one here, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. So, you know, you're on your way to church or the synagogue or temple or whatever, like, you know, coming to church this morning. And, uh, and you know, you look at the tag on your shirt and it's like, you know, 60% cotton with a wool blend of something. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Can't be wearing a shirt that's a, bl- if it's all wool, you're okay. If it's all cotton, you're okay. And don't even think about spandex. Who knows what they've got all mixed up in that. That's just, that's just, Whoa, you know, right? And it's just like, and, and to us it seems a little weird, but it's just religion. And we have our own kind of religion, right, that, that, that we see. And it's all about this exterior code. And you follow this and you know, right? That's the security that it gives us. But, but it always hangs this thing of acceptance over us here. Because if I strive hard enough, I can be all that God wants me to be, right? And so people for centuries would live this code out. And again, the the purity code in Leviticus goes on for chapters and covers all of this stuff. So Jesus comes along and he begins teaching about life and relationship with God. And what he does is fascinating with all these different passages. Again, we're just going to look at one this morning. Because he creates a kind of contrast in these passages between a religious kind of kingdom and what God's kingdom is like. And we're going to look at some of these contrasting things uh, here. So uh, let's turn to this passage, uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look, it's a short little parable that Jesus teaches, but it's filled with insight. And, and, and we're not even going to get to... 
unpack even half of the insights in this little passage, but there's a few that I want you to see in this. So think of him as contrasting, right, that religious kind of kingdom with his father's kind of uh, kingdom in here. So Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 31. And these would have been very controversial. Very, and it won't hit you as controversial at first, but, but it, this would have hit people as, as very controversial. And you'll see why here in a second. So here's what he says, verse 31. He told them uh, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, there it is. He's going to be talking about, you know, the life and relationship with God. What is the tone? What is the vibe of, of, of being in relationship with God? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now again, we go, okay, it's just like a little farming thing in here. But um, do you remember that code from Leviticus? It talked about planting, didn't it? And what did it say about planting? You don't plant two different kinds of seeds or multiple kinds of seeds in the same field. It is clear, right? You don't do that. And I want you to think about this. For centuries and centuries and centuries, probably more than a millennia, uh, people, like they followed that Levitical code in there. Like, you know, they've got their little field in their backyard or whatever, right? And they've got all their carrots, right? And all lined up in this little section here. And then maybe they had like a little hedgerow or a little uh, rock separator in it. And then, you know, over here, now we got our wheat and now we got our corn. Um, They wouldn't have had cauliflower because God doesn't like cauliflower. I'm sure of that. I don't have a verse, but uh, you know, it just couldn't like that. But, and they just, for century after century, and they just keep all of this separate and they would keep it clear. Because why? This is what God wants. I'm going to work, I'm going to keep the pure, I'm not going to let a little bit of wheat get over in the carrots. You know, I'm going to pluck all of that, I'm going to keep, because this is the work that I do so that I can be who God wants me to be. That's, right, that is that kind of religious tone or dynamic uh, in there. Um, Now, God, or, or Jesus comes along and he starts teaching about this whole thing, right? And that something else is going to be planted in this field where there's something else already growing in this, right? This is the part that people are going, like, like you're breaking like a millennia of, of, of what we all have understood makes you righteous in this. And Jesus starts teaching this thing um, and breaking it up a little bit. It's a little bit like, uh, it, it reminds me of like, uh, remember the old coloring books? And I suppose kids still use coloring books. I see them on tablets all the time now, but you know, coloring books. And if you were to ask this question, right? What is the right way to color in a coloring book? We'd say, you need to stay what? In the lines. Yes, that's the right way, right? That just kind of captures a religious kingdom. Keep everything in the lines, right? You don't mix these seeds, you know? You don't have... You don't, you don't let your chihuahua and your German shepherd get together, right? You know mutts, right? It's like, and you just, everything stays pure and separate in this thing. Because that's what pleases God. And you work that system. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, I'm going to tell you the parable, right? The kingdom of God 
is like a seed. And that man takes it, and it's not just a seed, it is a mustard seed. And he plants it in this field, which is even crazier because a mustard uh, plant uh, that would grow up, it it's, refers to it as a, a tree, but we might think of it more as like a great big huge bush. Uh, you didn't have to replant mustard trees, right? Where they grew outside your field, because they didn't plant them in fields either, because you didn't have to harvest the seeds from a mustard tree every single year um, and then replant it to get a crop of mustard the next year. They just grew and they turned, you know, one mustard tree, it just turned into a bunch of little mustard trees and, you know, and it would just spread and it was invasive and it would move around. And it's just like, you plant a mustard seed in the middle of your field and like, you know, okay, now you got a mustard bush and it's going to turn into a mustard tree. And the next thing you're going to have lots of little mustard bushes all over. It's just, it's out of control. You can't control it. And it's, in, it's just like, you, why would you do this, right? And Jesus is teaching this and he's saying, this is what my father's kingdom is like in this, right? This would have been controversial as they would have looked at this. He's teaching this. And I want you to think about the metaphor here, and then I want to draw a couple of things out of this. So when you think about this metaphor again, right, there is a seed, and this seed is like the kingdom of God. It represents God's hopes, God's dreams, how he wants life to be. And there's a field, and that field is like your heart, your life, right? And everything about us, right, especially with like a a religious kind of vibe, I got to keep this pure. I got to keep this exact, right? There's a code that says exactly how this should be. And now Jesus starts talking about taking a seed that I don't think belongs there and planting it in it. Think of that metaphor for a second here. Um, uh, Because here's what I want to do. I want to point out two major things that Jesus compares and contrasts between a religious kind of kingdom and his kind of kingdom uh, here as we think through this metaphor of what he's doing. Because as you think about this metaphor where he says, and I want that man to plant that seed in that field, we all get to respond to that. We get to resist it, fight against it. We get to withdraw from it, ignore it, try and get away from it. Or we get to try and live in it, to align our, right, what we have control over. We get to align our kingdom to this greater kingdom in some way. And so a couple of things, a couple of things uh, here about this. The, the first one is this. First compare and contrast is this. Your power versus Jesus's power. A religious kind of kingdom, a religious kind of vibe is always about your power, Right? So think about that little seed, right? Here you are. You've got this seed. It's the kingdom of God. And you can take that seed and go, you know what? I love this. I've got God's kingdom right here in this little seed. I'm going to just take it. I'm going to put it in my pocket right here. And it's just safe and sound, right? I'm a follower of Christ, saved by Jesus. I get his kingdom, goes in my pocket. And now with the seed safe and secure in my pocket, I'm going to go over to my little field that's my heart and I'm going to work it and I'm going to try and I'm going to learn everything that God doesn't like and everything he does like and I'm my power. I'm going to try and be the best Christian I can possibly be. And I just wonder how many of us approach our spiritual lives that way. 
Oh, if I just, I just need to learn everything that's right and everything that's wrong, right? Just right and wrong, right and wrong. And then I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do everything that is right and I'm going to try and avoid everything that is wrong. And that's you and me trying to be all God wants us to be through our power. And what Jesus is teaching, he's not asking us to do this in our power, right? Like there's this very different thing here. Because there's this part of us, we get drawn to that lie. If I strive hard enough, I can be all that God wants me to be. I'll study the Bible really hard. I'll learn all of those things. I'll be good. I'll treat the Bible like, I'll look, I mean, I'll go through the Bible. I'll find every rule in there about right and wrong. And I'll follow it. And you can do that. But friends, make no mistake Make no mistake about what scripture, the Bible itself, says about this. Because what it says, it's the curse that we face. It's not adulthood. It's not life itself. The curse we face is not even the temptations that we face. The curse we face is the curse of trying to live a religious law according to that code. It is to look at life as a set of, of moral obligations or spiritual rules that I have to follow to be accepted by God. Leave your finger in Matthew and flip back to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter three, because Paul, who understood what Jesus was trying to do, writes about this in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Catch what it says. All who rely on observing the law are under what? A curse. That's the curse. And it's not that the law doesn't hold good and beautiful things that are moral. It's not that. It's not like the law is evil. It's a curse because it demands that we do it in our power. It's a curse because it's anti-relational. It's a, it's a curse because the place it goes is always crushing. Look at what he says. He, move, he goes on. He says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. And here's what's interesting. The guy who writes this, Paul, we know from other writings in the New Testament that there were moments in his life, in fact, there was a time in his life where he followed the law. He was dedicated to the law. And as he describes it, there were big stretches of his life where he was keeping the law and keeping the law perfectly. Like, like you know, he, he had a good day, not just a good day. I bet he had some good weeks where he just like, I didn't do anything wrong this week and everything I was supposed to do, I did. Like, it just, like he kept it. Like, his moral integrity way above probably anyone of us in this room. Like, because he dedicated his life to this. And Paul's saying this, but here's why. Here's what you have to know. Even if you have a good day and you keep every rule, if you do everything you're supposed to do and nothing you're not supposed to do, what about tomorrow? Because you're like, oh man, Oh, I worked so hard and I got acceptance today. Yeah, but you don't know about tomorrow. 
And you better strive tomorrow because you can lose what you have right now tomorrow. It's a curse. You know, I think, think, think about this in parenting. Think about, think about kids growing up in a home where like, that sense of acceptance was always at stake. Think of, think of a home where a kid would grow up and, and, like, and, and not just like the, the normal things that parents would go through, but, but that sense of a kid saying, you know what, mom or dad, like, like they don't, that love is so conditional. I'm, like my acceptance is on the line. If I don't get first chair in the orchestra, I don't know if I'm going to be okay with my mom and dad. I don't know if they'll still love me and accept me the way they used to. If I come home and I fail a class, oh my gosh, like if I fail a class, like my mom, like what? Like I'll be disowned in some way. Or depending on who I date, I've got to figure out who I'm going to date, not just because of for my life, but like how will my parents react to this? Will they be okay? Will they kick me out of the family? Will Will I no longer be loved or cherished in that way? Think about a kid that's going through every decision of their life and the filter that they have for every decision of their life is, will I lose acceptance from my parents, right? That's abusive. Like like we'd say that's horrible. You can't do that to a kid. So why is it that we would allow ourselves to think that that's what God would want for us? See, And you just see Jesus and he's just going, I want to break this. I want to teach you something that's going to, you know, like perturb you and get under your skin and make you rethink this so that you can see my heart in this. See, you can take that seed. You can be a follower of Christ and you can take that seed and you can put it in your pocket and go back to your field and work it and strive, and I don't care how good you do at it. It's a curse. And I think Jesus looked at that and goes, I don't want that for you. And there's an alternative, isn't there? You can take that seed and you can go, oh my gosh, this feels crazy and risky and I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna take that seed and I'm going to plant it in the field of my heart. Because the moment you do that, you let loose the power of that seed. And it's no longer your power. It's the power of God's kingdom in your heart. And that seed will grow. It will, it will put roots down. It will become something else. It'll put more seeds into that garden. It's going to mix things up. It's going to go directions you couldn't control or uh, predict. And, it's, and like Jesus is saying, yep, that's right. But you know the beauty of it is whatever it becomes, it is because it is my power to be able to do that. You don't have to rest in your power to do that. That's the beauty, right? God's kingdom is about Jesus's power in your life. A religious kingdom is always about your power. And you know, kind of a sub point out of this uh, that, that's worth mentioning here is that there's this outcome that, that, that I see so often that comes out of this idea where it becomes our power uh, versus Jesus's power in our lives to transform us, to make us into who God created us to be. And it's this, uh, when, we, when we take on a kind of more religious vibe in how we live out our spiritual lives, it always ends up being more about the external 
But when we, but when we live in a way where we take that seed and plant it in the field of our heart, it's always more internal. It's about what's happening underneath the soil that grows up. And later we see the effect externally. It's like there's something deep that happens internally. And here's the problem with that. The external part, it always leads us to this place. And, and we do it out of the most sincere reason. It's, it's not this terrible thing. It's just, it doesn't land in a good place. It always pulls us towards wearing masks, right? Because when the when your spiritual life is more about the, like the religious rules and all the codes, you've got all of this stuff that like, okay, it needs to look like this. It needs to look like this. We start wearing masks to start projecting that. If I'm struggling with a temptation, well, it's not supposed to look like that. So I'm not gonna tell anybody I'm struggling with that temptation. Well, like my gosh, when we struggle with temptation, you know what we need? We need vulnerability. We need to have community around us. We need to experience grace because that's the power to overcome those. And when we wear masks, like we just set ourselves up to become victims more and more to those temptations, right? We, we get into this thing. And, and, and I wanna, I'm gonna tell a, a Baptist joke here on this that, that illustrates this a little bit, what happens. And I can tell a Baptist joke on this I'm, I'm a, uh, because that's my roots, right? In fact, this church, if you don't know, our roots here are Southern Baptists. That's, that's who we are. Um, hi, my name is Glenn, and I am a recovering Southern Baptist, okay? It's just, that's, right? And there, <laughs> yes, there, there is some, uh, <clears throat> uh, there's, there's some parts of us Southern Baptists that, that had kind of that religious vibe to them. For instance, uh, growing up in this church in the early days, there was no dancing. Because that is just wrong. That was on the that was on the naughty list. Okay, um, my I was married here at this church, right? Um, Angie and I grew up here. There was no dancing at our wedding. Angie did not even dance with her own dad because that's not allowed. And may I say, we have come a long ways as a church. In fact, we are so vogue now and so like and that you brides, if you want to get married here, you can have a dance here. You can dance with your dad at the reception even on church property. Yeah, because there was a time where, you know, okay, we'll let some dancing happen, but not on the church property, okay? Wait, like, we've even moved past that, right? Okay. Um, drinking, for example, right? Like, mm, like no way. I was on, not allowed to do that at all, right? So here's the joke, right? Um, if, if you, uh, you want to go fishing with a Baptist friend, you need to make sure you take two Baptist friends with you. Because if you only take one of them, he'll drink all your beer. Because, you know, if there's two of them, they're wearing masks, and they've got to impress each other, and they won't you know, touch a drop. But if there's only one of them, oh, man, they'll, they'll, they'll drain you dry, right? Now, I laugh at that joke all the time because I look back and I go, there's kind of some truth to that, right? <laughs> That's why it's funny. But it's because, I, but the sad part of it is, it's because there's so much pressure to wear masks. There's so much pressure to measure up on the outside. And if, you, and if you're failing on the inside, maybe at least you can measure up a little bit on the outside. But in the end, wearing masks is crushing. It squeezes the life out of you. It's like no way to live. And what Jesus is saying is, let me change you from the inside out. Plant that seed, 
trust me in this. Like, look at, look at what uh, he says in, a, in uh, Galatians uh, at, the, at the end of this. Look at the end of verse uh, 10 uh, uh, there. Find the end of verse 10. He says this. Um, because the righteous, what? Will live by faith. When we take that little seed and we plant it in the soil of our lives, that's an act of faith. I'm going to trust God and his power to shape me and make me into all he wants me to be. I'm going to get behind what he's doing in my life. And isn't it interesting that he doesn't just say, uh, have faith. He says, the righteous will live by faith. And here's why this is key. Jesus and then Paul and the other New Testament writers change our understanding of what righteousness is. Under the old Mosaic law, righteousness was determined by how well you kept the law. Your righteousness was determined by how moral you were on the exterior. The New Testament opens up a new kind of relationship with God and says, What's most important, you're right relationally with God if you trust him. That's the kind of relationship he wants, a faith relationship. Let him go to work in your inner life in this. And can I say this? As, as one, you know, a recovering Baptist, as one who has struggled through this and has gone through these passages and said, I want to step more and more into planting that seed again and again in the field of my heart. I have watched a change in my own life, and I am far from being where I can be, where I want to be, but I sure like where God has been taking me. And these days, I worry so little now about, like, like, what's the rule on dancing? What's the rule on drinking? Like, if you want to dance, great. If in your heart, like, I shouldn't be dancing, I shouldn't be drinking, man, I support you in that. But what's more important than the rule is the faith. And what I have watched in my own life as those things diminish in trying to figure out, what I have watched is God continuing to challenge me and it is not always easy, right? This whole faith thing is not easier than the other. It's just, it comes with a vision of beauty that you get to experience. And for me, it has been a journey of learning how to love people that I once struggled to love. It is learning how to love them better. It is learning how to trust God to take me to places that I was once terrified of. And walking through those and finding that there is goodness and beauty in God's power in my heart so much more than anything I could ever produce. That, let God change you from the inside. Okay, one last thing. We're out of time, but let me just mention uh, this one. Um, look back at Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse uh, 32, because here's the second part of this parable that he teaches about the kingdom. Um, speaking of the mustard seed, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And here's the difference. Here's the contrast. Nurturing me or nurturing me and others. 
Jesus is referring back uh, to a passage in Ezekiel that talks about these birds. And the birds were this picture of all the nations, of all the people that weren't the Jews, who, who didn't know God. And Jesus is using this imagery here because it's like, um, you know, people would normally go, we don't want birds in our garden. Like, bird, that's the problem. They're going to eat stuff. And you grew a garden to nurture you and your family, which is a good thing, a wonderful thing. But birds would come and, and, and eat out of it. Like you put up scarecrows. You kept the birds away. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do something deep internal in you and it's going to make its way out. And then the net effect of this is birds are going to come and not just, you know, you know, spend a little time in the garden. They're going to come and nest. They're going to come and make their home in this. It's like, you're gonna, there's going to be something that's going to grow up in this that's not just for nurturing you, but nurturing others. Like there's something beautiful here in this. And isn't there something about religion that the deeper we get in it, the more we get fixated on our own ourselves. It's like, I gotta be this, I gotta be this, I gotta be this. With the, with the one exception of those times where we'll focus on someone else and it's often in a more judgmental way because we're using that to bolster our sense of, of needing to be something else. Or... We look at someone else with great fear because we think they're not measuring up in some way. But it's never about nurturing them out of your faith relationship. And it always strikes me, maybe the, the fruit that we should see is more and more we're becoming a safe place where people who don't know God are finding goodness and something that nourishes their spiritual journey, begins drawing them towards Christ, begins drawing them towards saying, I'll take one of those seeds. I want to, I want a part of that. Do you see the difference? So friends, when you think about what Jesus taught, and I'll leave you with this thought. He says some pretty radical things here. Are you resisting it? Are you recoiling from it? Or are you trying to live it, align with it? Because you have a little seed, and it's the kingdom of God. And you can put it in your pocket, and it'll be safe, but it'll stay a little bitty seed. But if you plant it in the field of your heart, it will grow. It will become a lot. It will become invasive into the rest of your life. You won't be able to predict everywhere it'll go but it'll take you someplace beautiful and life-giving. Let's stand for a closing prayer. And let me just say this. If you're a guest here this morning, um, it's so good to have you here. And I invite you to come back for the rest of uh, this series as we just walk out more of what Jesus taught about his kingdom and what life and relationship is uh, like with him. And let me say this too. If you are a guest here this morning, I'm going to hang out right over here on the side. I'd love to welcome you and just uh, shake your hand this morning. Or if you would love to have someone pray for you, or you would like to know more about what it means to become a follower of Christ, I invite you to go over to our prayer spot right over here. We have some wonderful people that would pray for you or spend some time uh, uh, talking with you. Let me pray. Father, we just, uh, we thank you so much uh, for the beauty of your kingdom. And we pray pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would just permeate our hearts and draw us more and more in faith to the life that you're inviting us to have as your followers. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.